Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Emerson Dameron. I thought, no more angry drunks. From now on, I'm hanging out exclusively with horny artists. <laughs> that and more. But first, hey, all those November Risk live shows are right around the corner. November 11th, we're in Reno. Oh my gosh, we are finally back in Reno, Nevada. Really amazing stories coming together for the Reno show. The venue is called The Theater. It's on Keystone Road. The show's at 8 p.m. And again, that's Friday, November 11th. Now, two days later, I'll be flying to Los Angeles to do the Risk Live show at the Hotel Cafe, co-hosting <laughs> with David Crabb. That's going to be so much fun. That show, that L.A. show, has been on a real roll lately. So come on out, L.A., Tuesday, November 15th at 7 p.m. is when the L.A. show is. And then finally, two days after that, <laughs> Jesus Lord, <laughs> give me strength. I'll be flying back to New York to do the Risk Live show at Caveat on November 17th at 9.30 p.m. Listen, our shows at Caveat have also been going phenomenal lately. So be sure to go to wrist-show.com slash tour for tickets and info about attending any live shows in person or watching the live streams from home. That info is always at risk-show.com slash tour. We'll be right back. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now here's the show.
Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is the Everly Brothers behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Love Hurts. Two stories in which the storyteller dearly loves someone with a substance abuse problem. You know, we often hear stories from folks who are in recovery themselves from substance abuse. But this is fascinating today to hear two stories from the loved ones of people going through that sort of ordeal. You might be surprised at how funny and heartwarming and just surprising these sorts of stories can be. You know, life is so full of contradictions and unexpected turns. Speaking of that, don't forget, we're exploring working on another project at some point that will focus on the intersection of storytelling and mental health. So we're especially curious to hear from therapists, especially therapists who are people of color or hypnotherapists or therapists with training in nonviolent communication. So reach out to me at kevin at risk-show.com if you want to learn more about any of that. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Jill Carliner, whose husband Sam Carliner told an unforgettable story on an episode from, I think, back in January called Recovery. Now, listening to Jill's story and Sam's story back-to-back is well worth it. It's fascinating how, you know, there are these connections in their stories. And at some point, I think I might want to record a conversation with both of them about that. But before that, we have this remarkable story by Emerson Dameron, who has a radio show called Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes that can be found at medicatedminutes.com. This was recorded at the Last Risk live show in Los Angeles. So here is Emerson now. The story we call BDSM in the Time of PTSD. Many years ago, I hooked up with my drinking buddy, Alyssa, for a fun six-month fling that turned into an unfun, very serious, years-long relationship. (laughs) A couple of years into that, my pancreas exploded, and I had to stop drinking. She continued to drink full tilt, and I discovered that when I was sober, She was an absolutely vicious drunk. Uh, Screaming, insults, threats, a lot of fucking around, endless amounts of bullshit, wetting the bed, etc. And I stuck around for years of this because that's what I do until I physically couldn't take it anymore. And then I stuck around for six more months And then I finally screwed up the courage to leave uh, after I busted her bragging to her friends 
that she was trying to fuck our couples counselor, <laughs> which seemed like a, a red flag. <laughs> and, and, and to celebrate uh, extricating myself from the situation, I got myself a treat, which was a plane ticket back east to visit my friend Phoebe. Phoebe and I had been friends for many, many years and had become extra close in the months leading up to this. Phoebe is a visionary. She's an artist. She gets deeply interested in things and then channels her fascination into her work, some of which you've almost definitely seen. And it was always one of those right person, wrong time situations for us. But when we reconnected, uh, it turned out that we had more in common than ever. And one of the things that we had in common is that we wanted to fuck the shit out of each other. (laughs) Phoebe is beautiful. She's incandescently brilliant. She has a pornographic smile. She's super intense and a little bit full of herself and insecure and can be obnoxious and loves to get punished for it. (laughs) She's the sexy little devil girl brat who helped save my life. And... I was I flew in to see her first night alone worth the price of the entire trip many times over. We shacked up in this hipster hotel. Phoebe picked out a room that was famous because Gigi Allen had stayed there when he was on tour. So, yes, of course I was in love with this woman. We uh, made out our tongues partner danced, our smells mixed together. Uh, We rolled around naked in bed like bad teenagers and it felt so fucking good. So good that it was confusing for me, but I'll take it. Afterward, we cuddled and debriefed and the consensus... (laughs) The consensus was the sex was okay. It could have been rougher. We, we both had some jitters. Gigi Allen would not have been impressed. The next night was going to be way better. The next night we went out for dinner with some of Phoebe's friends who were also oddball artists and I loved them. I felt free and safe and like I belonged for the first time in years. And I thought, no more angry drunks. From now on, I'm hanging out exclusively with horny artists. (laughs) I know who I am. I know what I want. Life is going to be good starting now. About halfway through dinner, the text messages started rolling in. Some background. Uh, When I bounced out of the apartment that I shared with Alyssa in Hollywood, I did it all of a sudden. 
unannounced because that's the recommendation on the LAPD's website. <laughs> we didn't take time to, to divvy up the shared possessions. I took the car and she kept the cat. The cat's name is Drill, and he's very much Alyssa's cat, but I love him because there's no way you couldn't. Uh, Drill has a condition called cerebellar hyperplasia, which it means his brain is not fully formed, and he has this adorable, stumbling, drunkard's walk, although he might just be imitating Alyssa. (laughs) And I, I felt bad about leaving him there because he's a fighter, but he can't really take care of himself, and there's no way he can take care of Alyssa. (laughs) And one of the recommendations that I did not follow was to break off contact because of reasons that are probably somewhere in the DSM. (laughs) So... Our lives were still enmeshed, but I did take very good care of the car. Alyssa fed the cat tuna that was supposed to be people food, and the cat developed a urinary tract infection, and it was bad. He was in a lot of pain, as I was being told in this barrage of texts, and the way that she presented it to me was, bring the car here now. And my reaction to that was familiar. My throat clenched up. My eyes got wide. My heart started racing. I felt like I had a knife sticking in my intestines. I couldn't think or speak or breathe. I just froze. There were a lot of good times in my relationship with Alyssa. And a big part of me still loves her and always will. And I'm a challenging person to live with on the best days. I'm an avoidant weirdo. I'm depressed a lot of the time. I had an angry mom. When women yell at me, I shut down. I, it, and it, I feel sick to my stomach when I use the word abuse to describe something that happened to me. It's like saying I'm an alcoholic. It feels like you're crossing the Rubicon. But I was diagnosed with complex PTSD by a psychiatrist as a direct result of living with Alyssa. And she told me herself that that's what she was doing. Uh, One night... Uh, She was blackout drunk, screaming at me, I hate you, my mom hates you, you're bad at life, you'll never change, you couldn't change if you wanted to. Typical weeknight for us. And she stopped and said, I know this is emotional abuse. And then just got right back into it. (laughs) I would that everything in life were presented with this sort of clarity. (laughs) And it was years before it 
occurred to me to to leave because it never occurred to me that I didn't deserve this for reasons that are in the DSM. I know because I looked it up. And now I was on the other side of the country in a cozy restaurant with my new favorite people in the world who probably thought I was on coke because I wouldn't stop twitching and getting up to use the bathroom. And Alyssa is killing a cat and it's somehow my problem. Normally I would have just driven up to Hollywood and fixed it, but the car was in a parking deck in Inglewood and I was three time zones away and I didn't really want to get into why that was the case. So I did something I didn't normally do. I said, no. I told you I was going to be busy this week. I love drill. I'm very concerned. If you want to take drill to the ER in an Uber, I will pay for the Uber. It's five blocks away. It would take me hours to get there, which is accurate. But I, 48 hours, not two. I'm not going to be able to do it. You're going to have to figure it out yourself. And I just sat there uh, waiting for the explosion. And instead, she folded. She texted, I'm disappointed that you're not prioritizing drill. (laughs) Dinner wrapped up. We split the check. And Phoebe and I decamped for our hotel room. When we got back, we started making out. Phoebe started taking off her clothes and was wearing sexy lingerie. The word sexy doesn't do it justice. One of the things that Phoebe is deeply interested in is 80s rock video vixens. And this getup was obviously inspired by that. She reached in her bag and brought out some rope because she wanted me to tie her up and ravish her. And if, if she had then handed me a check for $100 million, it wouldn't have made any difference because I'd already won the lottery. All of my dreams had come true, and I realized that there was no way in hell I was going to be able to perform because I was in hell and I was still having a panic attack. And I didn't know how to explain it using dirty talk, which is how we communicated <laughs> Because by then I'd forgotten the entire English language. I was awake until four in the morning. Uh, Phoebe put her arms around me and put her head on my chest and fell asleep like that. Drill was fine. He came out stronger than ever because that's what he does. He got some good drugs. I thought about hitting him up for some kitty smack because I needed it. And Phoebe and I had some five-star sex in the days following that. And then again, when she came to visit me later on, but I could tell that she didn't trust me like she had before. Uh, She had made herself exquisitely vulnerable to me and wanted to go into the darkest places in my psyche. And I was not ready to lead. I was not ready to get what I wanted because I was 
crushed under these layers of denial that I'd been in for the last seven years. And uh, sure enough, her brattiness got to be less of a game. And then uh, at one point, I fucked up and did a minor thing that showed a lack of conscientiousness, and she snapped at me pretty hard and then made herself scarce. And after all of those years, that is what finally broke my heart. That's when the pain flooded in from that whole time. And it was not the good kind of pain. I tried to get off on it, but apparently I'm not a switch. (laughs) You can't hurry grief. It happens on its own schedule. I tried to fast track mine and I thought it was going incredibly well. And then a brain damaged cat stumbled along and stuck his dick in it. (laughs) And... That's the story of how my rendezvous with the one who got away was hijacked by the one who wouldn't take a fucking hint. Thank you. Some people are very um, visual when they're sexual and they really like to see, you know, maybe he loves to see her in lingerie or she loves to see him flex his muscles or whatever it might be. Some people are more auditory. They like to hear things. So if you tell them a fantasy story while you're giving them a hand job, they can close their eyes, feel you touching them and listen to some sexy story that you lay out while you play with my penis. You know, that can be really fun. Hey, baby, I'm feeling hot right now. Do you want to you wanna get sexy? Yeah, look, look at that. Mm. Oh, I like, I like your body. I like your sexy face and your feet and your, your privates. Mm. Yeah, this, it's, ooh, it's so hot. Oh, wow. Ooh. Gosh. I'm into this. Oh yeah, I am. I'm I'm into it. Uh huh. Mm. Come on, look when I do. What about when I do this? Mm. You like that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good, huh? Yeah. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through 
like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're back. I turn out the light, I climb in bed, and the last thing I do before I go to sleep is I lean over and I whisper in Eileen's ear, Eileen, you can't die. I've been doing this every night for the last few months before I go to sleep. Eileen, you can't die. Eileen is my 14-year-old yellow lab. She has thick fur that's rusty colored, She has these sad brown eyes. Her body is riddled with arthritis. And she has this breathing condition that makes her sound like a 95-year-old six-pack-a-day smoker. She doesn't really do much anymore during the day. She just kind of hangs around. She eats and drinks. She pees and poops. She won't play with toys. She doesn't go on long walks. She just kind of exists. But still, I beg her every night, Eileen, You can't die. You can't die because your boy, my son Jake, hasn't spoken to me in months. I think he may actually hate me. To be perfectly honest, Eileen, the feeling may be mutual, but Eileen, you can't die because you are the one thing that he loves unconditionally in this world. And if you die, I think I may lose him forever. About six months before this, I woke up one morning to find Jake, who was 23 at the time, lying unresponsive on my living room floor. He was lying in a puddle of his own vomit and urine, and there was an empty bottle of whiskey on the table. I should have been scared, but I wasn't, because I'd seen this before, and I was just fed up. So while he was sleeping off his drunk at the hospital, I was making plans. The next day, we held an intervention. It didn't go well. And it got to the point where I had to draw a line in the sand, and I said to him, you cannot stay in my house anymore. You can go into treatment, or you can be homeless on the streets, but you cannot be here. He reluctantly chose treatment. I remember before he left the house, I tried to give him a hug, and he stood there stiff as a board. He wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't talk to me. But the last thing he did before he left the house with the social worker 
was he knelt down, he threw his arms around Eileen's neck and he whispered in her ear, I love you, be a good girl for mommy. So I thought him being in treatment, things would get better, but they didn't. Because once his mind was cleared of the drugs and alcohol, all of this anger and venom and cruelty emerged. He would call home and he would say the most horrific things to me. He would say things like, you put me here to get rid of me. Or he'd accuse me and say, you don't really love me. You wish I wasn't your son. That one really hurt because he and his twin brother were adopted at birth. And let me tell you, adoptive parents, we really wanted our kids. We had to work hard to get them. So that just pierced my heart. But these phone calls just left me broken and empty, and I didn't want to do it anymore. So I wrote him a letter, and I basically gave him permission to not be in touch, and he took it. No phone calls, no texts, no emails, no letters, nothing. Radio silence for months. So I thought that's what I needed to feel better, but things actually got even worse for me. Because in that space of silence and no communication, all of my shame and sadness and helplessness that had been simmering inside me just kind of exploded and took over everything. I walked around in this fog. I could barely sleep. I couldn't function at work. I walked around hating people. But the worst part of it was it was like Jake's addiction had hijacked my brain and wiped out all of my good and happy memories. And I'm not talking just about the years of his active addiction. I'm talking about 23 years of our life together, no happy memories. The only thing my brain would remember was the bad stuff, the shit, the times that Jake just ruined things for himself, for me, for my family. I couldn't even think of like his four-year-old birthday party, the one where we hired a clown. The only thing I remembered about that party was the tantrum he threw because he didn't get the present he wanted. If someone mentioned our family bar mitzvah trip to Israel, the only thing I could remember about that trip was the time where I was walking down the streets of Jerusalem and saw this craft fair on the street corner that I wanted to go to. And Jake just stood in the middle of the street throwing this adolescent hissy fit because he wanted an ice cream cone. He didn't want to go to the craft fair. There were triggers everywhere I went. I couldn't even go to my basement to do laundry without passing a stack of board games and remembering my attempt at family game night where five minutes into the game, the board and the pieces went flying in the air because he didn't get the color he wanted or he didn't get to go first. You know, all this focus on the bad stuff made me feel like I was the shittiest mom that ever lived. And my son was just this big ass. I was the shitty mom who raised this ass. But then I'd look at Eileen and I'd remember that his love for her was pure. And I needed her to stay alive because she gave me hope. You know, we weren't always dog people. I didn't have a dog growing up. And when my husband and I got married and we thought about our future together, a dog was not part of that picture. But when my kids were about four and a half years old, Jake was severely attacked by our neighbor's Akita. 
So I don't know if you know what an Akita is, but in Japan, they use it for hunting bear, just to give you a sense of how dangerous and aggressive this animal is. It absolutely would have killed him if their housekeeper hadn't pulled it off of him. Jake spent several weeks in the hospital and had multiple skin graft surgeries. And when he came home, not only did he have the physical scars of his injuries, he and his twin brother had the emotional scars of being terrified of dogs. It was so bad that if we were playing in our backyard and we heard a dog bark in the neighborhood, they would jump in my arms screaming in fear. So I knew we couldn't live this way. So I embarked on my version of pet therapy. I just repeatedly exposed them to cute little puppies and cuddly little dogs, and it worked. They got really comfortable around dogs, so much so that we were ready to become dog people. They were still a little skittish around um, unpredictable dogs, so I didn't want to get a shelter dog. And with two little boys in the house, I really didn't want to raise a puppy. So we found out that we could become foster parents to a breeding dog from Guiding Eyes for the Blind. This was a dog who was raised to be a seeing eye dog, and instead of going into doggy college to learn how to use a harness to help a blind person, she was chosen to become a breeder because of her good genetics, her intelligibility, her great training. Basically, we got the Rolls Royce of dogs. <laughs> and that is how Eileen came into our lives. She was really good at her job. But being a breeder, it's really invasive to the dog. You know, not only does she have to deal with puppies with teeth and claws nursing at her nipples, she had to deal with repeatedly being touched and poked and prodded. Things like artificial insemination and ultrasounds and rectal temperature checks. It's a lot. So when she was around six and she was retired, she came home from being spayed, and it was like she knew her work was done. She knew she didn't have to be touched and poked and prodded anymore. But the problem was she didn't want to be touched anymore. We couldn't scratch her behind the ears or pet her head or give her a cuddle without her getting super anxious. She'd squirm away from us. She'd circle the room. She just didn't want to be touched, except by Jake. He was the only one she would let cuddle and hug and snuggle. In fact, she slept with him every night. Her body would be spooned up against him like a girlfriend. So you could see why I needed her to stay alive. This breathing condition she had got so bad that we couldn't even take her out to pee without her gasping for breath. So the vet said there was this surgery he could do that would open up her airways. She had the surgery, and the vet said she would stay overnight, and we could pick her up in the morning. That night at 3 a.m., my phone rang. 3 a.m. phone calls, never a good sign. My first thought was that Jake had relapsed or had run away from his program. What I didn't expect was the vet calling to tell me that Eileen had gone into cardiac arrest and died. My first thought was, Eileen, how could you do this to me? I gave you one instruction, stay alive. What am I gonna tell Jake? The next day I sat in my office, staring at my cell phone for like an hour, summoning up the words and the courage to call him. I didn't even know if he'd answer. When I finally called, he picked up on like the third or fourth ring. Hello? Hi, Jake, it's mom. Yeah, I know. 
silence. Um, Jake, I have some sad news to tell you. Eileen died last night. Silence. And then, I gotta go. Click. Oh my God, what the fuck just happened? Did I just tell my son his dog died and he hung up on me? Things are so much worse than I thought. He's a freaking psychopath. What the hell is wrong with him? These were the thoughts that were going through my head. And my phone rang and it was Jake. And I picked it up and he is sobbing uncontrollably. I can barely hear him breathing. He's just crying. He's able to tell me that when I called, he was in a group therapy session and he held it together long enough to step outside and call me back and he just lost it. And I started crying. And the two of us just sat on the phone together crying for like 15 minutes. And then out of the blue, he says again, I gotta go. And for the second time that morning, he hangs up on me. But this time I'm left looking at my phone thinking, what just happened? So later that day, I get a text from Jake. Three words, I miss Eileen. My heart melted just a little. I immediately text him back, I miss her too. The next day I get another text from him, this time a picture of Eileen and a longer message. He wrote something like, remember how she always had to have a toy in her mouth? She did, her favorite was this lamb's wool bone that she carried. So I look through my phone and I find this video of Eileen playing in a blizzard in our backyard. And I send it to him and I write, she loved to roll on her back and make snow angels. And this went on back and forth. We sent pictures and videos and memories. We were connecting over our dead dog. So it was my turn to send something. And I looked through my phone, but I didn't have any more pictures or videos, but I needed to keep this going. So I remembered that I had this external hard drive where I had downloaded pictures from old cameras, old cell phones, old computers, and I plugged it in, hoping to find some more pictures of Eileen. And I started scrolling, and what I saw absolutely took my breath away. Because there it was, picture after picture, and video after video of Jake smiling, being happy, being fun, being this cool, silly, goofy kid. There was evidence of our family doing fun, loving family things together. I sat there looking at these pictures and it was like this switch went off in my brain and I was flooded with all the happy and good memories again. I found a picture from that four-year-old birthday party with the clown Jake is standing in the front of the room with this like grin on his face, just looking sweet and innocent. There was a video of his bar mitzvah in Israel and he's standing there singing at the top of his lungs in his pre-adolescent voice, off key, the Hebrew words that I taught him surrounded by our friends and family. And there I am in the video beaming with pride from ear to ear. There was this other video I found. He must have been 15 or 16 years old. And he's playing with Eileen's puppies. We had her last litter at our house for a couple of weeks. 
And in the video, he's just talking in this cute little baby puppy voice and he's encouraging the puppy to walk. And he brings it over to Eileen to nurse. And then he holds up another puppy to the camera and you hear me say off camera, is it a boy or a girl? And he blushes because he's 15 and his mom's talking about sex. And I fall in love with my son all over again, looking at these pictures and videos. And I realized I am not a shitty mom. My son is not an ass. He has a disease and he's working on getting better. And I knew at that moment that he was going to be okay. I knew that we were going to be okay. I may have lost my dog, but you know what? I just got my son back. Thank you. Johnny Ray Sounded sad upon the radio More than a million hearts in mono Our mothers cried And they sang alone But who would blame them? You've grown So grown Well, that is almost all for this week's episode, folks. This is Corey Kilgannon behind me now, and we just heard from Jill Carliner. We called that story the third act because Jill's husband, Sam, shared a story on the podcast this past January in an episode called Recovery, and Sam's story was called The Second Act. When I first heard Jill's story, I had just marked the audio file Jill without her last name, so I didn't realize, I was floored when I finally put two and two together and realized the connection between these two people and these two stories that both husband and wife had shared such different stories about their own relationships with their son during that year that their son was in rehab and that both had never done a show like this before. Both came up with such beautifully moving stories. Oh my gosh, it's just so fascinating. So check it out. There's a link to Sam's story in the show notes for this episode on our website. And before that, a little interstitial called Sexy Talk by Taj Easton. And another of our editors, Hope Brush, is putting a compilation of 
Halloween scary story anecdotes up on Patreon at patreon.com slash risk. Those anecdote compilations over there are a super special treat. Multiple bonus stories all at once. Like this one by Robin Gammons. We're walking down the stairs and we're on the landing. We're looking down this old hallway. There's a door at the very end of the hallway. There's a click of the doorknob. It's as if someone is opening the door from the other side. So here's the deal. If you become a member at patreon.com slash risk, you can hear that and many, many, many dozens of other stories and conversations while knowing that you're helping keep risk running because we very dearly need it. And we hugely appreciate it. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. Folks, don't forget to look up all of our storytelling training, including custom-tailored corporate workshops. This is the Risk team also coaching people on how to tell stories in a more moving and compelling and human sort of way, even in the business world. All of that is at thestorystudio.org. And please follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at Risk Show. And join the conversation. People discuss the stories at the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group on Facebook or over on Reddit. Our subreddit is Risk Podcast. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Come on, Eileen. Oh, I swear what he means at this moment. You mean everything. You and that dress. My thoughts are confessed. Verge on dirty. Come on, Next week on Risk. And I looked down at the hot dog and there was a face on him. That's not sanitary. My goodness. That is a $25 hot dog, folks. <laughs> I have no comment.
Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no.